To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Are you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Jay here, positivesarcasm.com. Find me on social media at Twitter. At the Twitter. At Twitter. At positive. At POS sarcasm. That's better. That's better. Find me on the Instagrams. Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. Facebook.com slash positive sarcasm. So find me on the normal social medias. Is that all of them? That's about it. Hey, uh, good news for all you Snapchatters. Stock went up. Congratulations. Company's not dead yet. Went up $2. Because uh, something to do with um, they're, they're retaining their current users. So they've stopped the bleeding. So congratulations. There's a fighter out there that isn't owned by Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey. Uh, we will talk about uh, Jack Dorsey today. He is the founder and CEO of Twitter. I am exhausted today. So I am hitting the coffee. I need to rally like a champion. Like a champion. What time is it? What time is it? Great time. So I am trying to rally. Uh, I'm already almost one cup of coffee deep. This is some damn... So I got free Cafe Bustelo. If you know all my podcasts, I've been running on Cafe Bustelo Fuel for quite some time. This is a damn good coffee, especially for the money. Uh, Cafe Bustelo is packaged in Miami. So you know we got some Cuban going on in this cup. Um, anyways, so yeah, find me on all social media, facebook.com slash positive sarcasm, Instagram underscore uh, at positive underscore sarcasm. Be talking about um, hair products today. We'll also be talking about my Uber adventures, uh, which will only be a little blurb. We got some movie reviews. We're talking about the if we can get them in. The Commuter with Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Darkest Hour with, what the fuck is his name? And Rampage with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Are they called the Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Whatever. And um, also a oldie but a goodie that I am th- wanted to watch again to see how I feel about it now. It is the Thin Red Line, and it's got everybody. Everybody, including Jesus. T- not literally Jesus, but the guy who played Jesus, Jim Caviezel. Yeah. Caviezel. Jim Screwdriver. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be getting there and in there, in there, and in there. This is what happens when you don't get any sleep, folks. You fucking malfunction. But good news, my microphone is sounding five by five, running pretty clean. Actually, I could even turn it down. I could afford it. Maybe I should turn myself down. You're at a, you're at a, you're at a nine. I need it about a six. I could afford to turn my mics down just a little bit. Actually, I'm going to bring it closer to you. Let's get physical, physical. I'm going to get physical. Put this microphone in your ass. Uh, drone updates, congratulations to the New England Patriots, I don't really watch sports, um, but yeah, I got, you know, when somebody offers me free food, hey, I'm gonna show up, so, um, Mr. Maserati invited me over, back over to his house to, uh, play with his dogs, so, uh, yeah, I ate all his chicken wings, and I, I guess I watched the, well, I didn't really watch the game, I sort of was, like, there with everybody else, they're all standing in front of the TV. You know what's funny? You buy a 75-inch fucking TV, and everybody stands up in front of it. Amazing. How much bigger do you need to get? I mean, it, okay, you have a full-on sectional, but everybody's standing up. I really didn't have a... I wasn't going to go too far with that bit, but it was just made me curious. So I basically went back to the scene of the crime, um, which I made everybody nervous because nobody wanted to park on the side of the street after my hit and run. 
Um, speaking of which, uh, my Uber adventures. Uber is definitely an adventure. Not just Uber, but Lyft in general. Hold on, I need a sip of coffee. Mmm. Shout out to SOS Cookies on Twitch. Hi, question mark. Don't know who you are, but I hope you're somebody I can tolerate. So, Twitch on twitch.tv slash positive sarcasm one. I'm live streaming there. I just got my first comment. SOS Cookies. Sauce Cookies. Hey now, if you have questions or concerns or comments, uh, just fire away and I will try to fill them, fit them in, uh, yeah, like that. Um, so enjoy the train wreck for the next hour and four minutes. Uh, let's see, the other day, let's see, this morning, it was a guy just sort of driving up on the sidewalk. I guess that's a thing with Uber drivers. Um, I First of all, thank you. to Once again, I thanked you guys last week and I'll thank you again. Thank you to everybody who drives in Uber and drives in Lyft. Um, you guys are definitely getting me, you know, through this difficult time of not having a convertible. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Uh, yeah. So it sucks, but being able to just literally get in the car and go and it's, it's nice, but it's kind of funny when you know it's like six o'clock in the morning. You're just jumping in an Uber, and the guy literally just, just kind of like trying to talk to you. You know, some you know some of them are they're conversationals. How's everything going? Did you watch the game? In the meantime, he literally drives over the whole fucking sidewalk. It's like, oh, didn't see that coming. You really, he just destroyed his entire car. You can just hear the car just <laughs> right along the sidewalk. It's like, all right, pal. I mean, I am gonna leave you a tip, but not enough to fix your ride. So how was that for open mic night? Um, but yeah, it, it's and then one guy, I swear, his Parkinson's. He's like, he's gonna use his GPS. He's trying to hit go, but he's hitting like every other thing other than go. I'm like, I just hope he hits the right address, but his Parkinson's is just not gonna let him. So he's all over the place. But that was definitely an adventure. Um, it's just yeah. So I only have another couple weeks of this, and then it should be taken care of. So, um. Yeah, so that's I guess that's all. I guess that's it. I guess that's the end of that bit. Uh, we'll move on to something else. SOS Cookies writes, "Can you tell me about full commitment with high risk upon failure?" Who am I, fucking Jordan Peterson? Um. Okay. Well, I guess we'll just examine it. Since you asked the question, I will try to investigate it. Can you? Okay. SOS Cookies writes, "Can you tell me about full commitment with high risk upon failure?" Well, okay. Failure is is not inevitable, okay? A full commitment with high risk. Okay, so you're basically committing yourself. You're going basically balls deep, 100%, going down with, possibly going down with the ship if necessary. So full commitment to something that has extremely high risk. I'm assuming the thing that has high risk probably has a high reward. I would assume that you wouldn't do anything that's extremely high risk unless it had a high reward. Whether the reward was for you or for somebody else. Um, upon failure, so if you fail, is there still uh, commitment? Is there is there still something in it for you if you fail? Can you you need to kind of elaborate on that? But the literally writes, can you tell me about full commitment with high risk upon failure? If that's in the if it's in a Jordan Peterson book or any of his lectures, chances are I've probably breezed over it and probably forgotten about it by now. If it's through Sam Harris, forget it. I got no I got no clue. Um, there's many of the IDW that I uh, look up to who write and say all kinds of things. I haven't gotten to all of it. Um, that might be something that 
Brett Weinstein or what's his name? Heather Heyer? Heather Heyer? It's uh, Brett Weinstein's wife. And, of course, Eric Weinstein, who's like the super, super smarty. So if you want to elaborate on that or ask me another question, you're more than welcome to. Twitch.tv slash positive sarcasm one. Uh, let's see. Okay. All right. Um, check dudes. I like to talk about, you know, health and wellness overall. This has health and wellness is generally when I have a chance, a part of this podcast. And it's one, there's one thing I want you guys to kind of take into consideration. All right. If uh, number one, this is not, if you have a hairpiece, this is about dudes who are starting to get older or, or are graying. Okay. So if you are graying, I'm going to go right into it. Um, if you're graying, you need to be very careful if you decide to paint your hair. Okay. And what I mean by painting your hair is literally dyeing it so that you look younger or that you're trying to mix in your grays. You need to be very careful about that. If you are a dude, number one, if you're just a dude in general, say you look good, you're fit and everything like that, and you got, and you're starting to get the grays, you start to dye them out. Okay. Un- understandable. You're trying to um, gain some of your sense of security back, maybe, you know, your self-esteem to kind of make yourself look younger so you look more attractive to maybe uh, the workforce because a lot of times it's not just you're trying to, you know, get chicks, you know, because so you don't have, first of all, it doesn't matter. Chicks don't care if you have gray hairs or not. It doesn't matter. Um, but maybe you're trying to look younger so you stay you look like you're more active in the workforce that you're currently in because if you're getting older, you may seem like you're more expendable. That's a possibility. That is definitely a possibility. Um, but let's face it. If you're just a dude who is got gray hair, full-blown gray hair or heavily gray and you're out of shape and then you just decide uh, to completely paint your hair so you leave... And one day, and then you come back the next day, and it's like all brown. Who the fuck are you kidding, dude? That you can't fool anybody because you, your body already looks like shit. And then you're gonna paint your hair. You're you. That's absolutely fake. You're not fooling anybody. You cannot do that. Do not paint your hair like that, especially if you have a bad body. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Don't oversalt the broth. Okay. There has to be a balance, proper moderation. If you are going to paint your hair, which I really don't recommend that you do, chicks do that, and I guess they can. I'm not going to tell them what to do. All right, don't tell me. My body, my choice. Right. Paint your fucking hair. Don't paint your fucking hair. I don't care. Um, but the fact is, a dude, mm, dudes look good with gray hair, okay? I got a little bit of that going on in the, in the sides here, on the windshield wipers, on the flares of the fenders. And doesn't bother me whatsoever. First of all, I got all my hairs. All my hairs. Yeah. I got all my hairs. Yeah. And second of all, if I didn't have all my hair, fuck it. You just shave it off. All right? It's, it's okay. Confidence comes from all kinds of places. If you're a jacked dude, if you're a good-looking dude, jacked dude, nice blue eyes like me, hey now. It's unless I'm on the Twitch stream, which it looks like I'm fucking, I look like an AIDS patient. Um... Left my heart in San Francisco. Either way, own it. Own it. Okay? Because if you lose, if you look like you're losing youth, you're still gaining experience. You become an elder. You know? You become Gandalf. So don't sell yourself short with the gray hair. My buddy, Mr. Monotone, I talk about him every once in a while on the podcast. He's got full blown gray hair, but he's got a big, stupid smile. He's got those cheeks that you just want to squeeze him until his fucking face hurts. 
Not me personally. I don't go like that. I can't go for that. Uh, but he's got full-blown gray hair. Full-blown gray hair. He doesn't dye it at all. He has all this hair. It's all gray. He doesn't dye it. You better not, John. Don't fucking... Don't, don't, uh. He doesn't dye it. It's perfectly fine. There were dudes that would kill for his hair. Not me, because my hair is better than his. We actually kind of have the same hair in a lot of ways. Um, so take that into account. Uh, but yeah, the hair, come on, knock it off. Who are you kidding? Uh, let's see. SOS Cookies writes, talking about oversalt the broth, the way you talk and body moving is not genuine. Be yourself. Um, and body movement is not genuine. Be yourself. Do you know what myself is, SOS Cookies? Do you understand what myself is? Myself is a human train wreck. Do you understand that? My body is literally emotional spare parts left over from many different lives, okay? So I literally could show up one day and be another completely different person. But I'm being honest about it, okay? I'm a sociopath. I'm a tinkerer. I'm a wanderer. I have anger management problems. I get easily frustrated. I shut down in front of confrontation often. I can be passive aggressive, aggressive. I go to the gym even though I hate going there. Um, I'm not really keto, but I am keto. So I'm many different things. So I'm definitely myself. Do I have skeletons in my closet? Yeah, I'll show you to you right now. They're a little short. They're like pygmy sized. So genuine, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to do the best I can. Is my stomach growling? Growing? Growling? Is my stomach growling? No, my stomach is not growling. Um, that is from FYTGUG. My stomach is not growling because I've had plenty of food today. Thank you for asking. And I am drinking, uh, let's see, Hood Hood Whipping Cream with Cafe Bustello Espresso Rose Coffee. Oh. Down goes number one. Down goes Frasia. If you don't mind, I'm going to fill up with another one. Uh, anyways, yeah, I am streaming live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash positive sarcasm one. So, uh, to fat gug, whatever the hell your name is. No, my stomach is not growling. My ears are not ringing, but yes, my face is slightly sweating. Cause it's getting hot in here. So shut your fucking mouth. Uh, but as far as the question from SOS cookie, he tells me my body movement is not genuine. Maybe it's cause I'm not very comfortable. Um, but put the mic on your stomach. Does it work like that? Put the mic on my stomach. I stand corrected. Hold on. Let me fill up this coffee. Ugh. Hold on. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? What's your name? What's your name? I'm going to tell you. There is nothing like a French press. Uh, anyways. How oh, that hurt. Mmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, societal stuff. Now nah, we don't have to talk about that. Okay. Here's a, a subject, if you'll allow me to discuss this. Uh, let's see. We talked about painting dudes' hair. Yeah, don't do it. We talked about the Uber adventures really quickly. That was more of an open mic nit bit. And then, let's see, the Joe Rogan, Jack Dorsey thing. We'll discuss that in a moment. Um, I did say congratulations to the Rams and the New England Patriots. Uh, I sometimes talk about drone news, though. I want to discuss the topic that was sent to me um, regarding Super Bowls. Am I still recording? Is this thing on? All right. What is the high? What's the headline? 
This is from Reuters.com by Brendan O'Brien. Morning, Brendan. Height and weight. Six drones confiscated in Atlanta ahead of Super Bowl. Oh, shit. Let's see. Authorities in Atlanta have confiscated six drones that violated a temporary order not to fly the devices in the area ahead of the NFL's Super Bowl on Sunday. Drone flight was prohibited on Saturday from 10 a.m. on until 5.30 p.m. Eastern and Sunday for one nautical mile. Two kilometers for the folks across the water. Because fuck the metric system. Um, blah, 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 around the, uh, two kilometers around the Mercedes-Benz Stadium and up to an altitude of 1,000 feet, 305 meters. The Federal Aviation Administration said, the FAA will establish temporary flight restrictions that pro- prohibit drones within a 30, nauti- 30 nautical mile radius of the stadium and up to 17,999 feet. That's a lot of feet. Um, and then see, blah, 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 blah. We'll just see if there's anything else to that. Drones are a big concern. Operators who send drones into restricted areas around the Mercedes-Benz Stadium could face up to $20,000 in civil penalties. That's like a new Honda Civic. And criminal persecution, which they'll probably avoid, actually. Um, Federal Bureau of Investigation in Atlanta said Twitter on Friday that it had confiscated... Ooh, the FBI investigated. Oops. Uh, they took six drones, blah, 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 run up to the game. Who's that fucking stupid? Okay, first of all, let me talk about this. I'll try to keep it simple for the for the sample folk. Most dr- drones, okay, fly around two miles. You know, two to four miles at most. And uh, they generally don't fly. You're not allowed to fly higher than 400 feet. You have to have special, special permission for that. Okay, but you generally don't fly above 400 feet. And you're also flying in consideration, you also have to take into consideration, uh, you're flying in Atlanta, the busiest airport hub in the country, okay? So you have commercial restrictions uh, when it comes to where you fly in Atlanta and how you fly, just in general. You have to get, generally have to get waivers. And then you also have to take into the account that um, you're flying a drone that probably costs between could it cost anywhere between four and two thousand dollars? Number one, it's not worth it. It isn't. No matter what shot you're taking into account, if you were if you were even a remotely intelligent drone flyer, you should know that immediate restrictions pop up when in a situation like this occurs. Okay, for example, I was in New York City for week one hundred. There was a lot of presidential activity over in Brooklyn, and what happens is on this program called Air Maps, immediately they set up a, the FAA will set up a red perimeter in a certain area. That means you can't fly over it, and probably if you can't fly over it, that means there's going to be aerial activity coming from that location on the map, which means you need to look out for additional aircraft coming from that red circle, that red square or red circle or whatever it is. It's easy to look. Happens all the time. And a lot of these, and generally there are temporary restrictions, they're shown in red, and then there are permanent restrictions such as military installations, police stations, uh, monuments. Those, you can't fly in them anyways. So by doing this, you know by flying over the, the stadium, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you are taking a huge risk, okay? There are spotters all over the area, thousands of security, 
personnel, and you're going to send your fucking, you know, DJI Mavic, most likely. I guarantee you, one of the six drones was a DJI Mavic, okay? That's 600 to 700 bucks right there. You know, 4K camera, flies at 40-something miles per hour, folds up, you can throw it right in your backpack. Not getting that back. Mm-hmm. And that's if you're a hobbyist. Can you imagine if you're an actual commercial flyer, you have a one FAA 107, and they take that shit? They're going to take your drone license, too, your commercial license as well. They could, they could quite certainly do that. $20,000? It's not worth it, bro. And to get over the top of that stadium is probably about four or 500 feet, which is fine, but there's no reason to be flying over that stadium. They're, they're really... They're just, they're just, isn't. it's just, it's just hella dumb. You shouldn't have done it. There are a lot of things when it comes to, we can argue all day about the rules and regulations when it comes to drone flying and how, you know, what you can get away with and what you try to do and what's your purpose with owning one and what are the proper, proper channels when owning a drone. But if you were going to go, you know, number one, you know, there's going to be Tons of security. You know there's going to be a drone restriction, an air restriction over that area, over that flight path. Okay, and then you go and do it anyways. You deserve to get fined. You deserve to get arrested. You deserve to have your drone taken at minimum. If they give it back, it's one thing. But you've been fucking fully warned ahead of time. The Super Bowl's going to be in Atlanta, and you're going to fly your bird up there? No thanks, dude. I'll pass. There's people walking down there. Drone, The drone freaking goes de- it ghosts on you and flies away. There's too many frequencies. Thing falls down. Forget it. Hit somebody. Screw you. Not worth it. So that's the end of that. You have to take that into account. If it, I mean, the only time I've really ever attempted to fly over anything that was strictly controversial, what really controversial was the... wasn't the Mexican border. Nobody gave a shit there. It was um, a Capitol building. Not the Capitol building, but a Capitol building. A building in a state's capital. That was about it. Um, they just told me to move along, and I obliged. Anyway, so that's the end of that. Um, do we want to do drone up? Okay, we did the drone updates. Do we want to talk about the Joe Rogan thing, or we want to talk about the movie review thing? Huh. That's a good question. Let's save the Joe Rogan thing for last, actually. Let's get into some friggin' movie reviews. So, um, I know Liam Neeson was in the news recently for some shit that he said that he feels bad about because it's something he did in the past and he feels bad about it now, but he was just being honest about it. But I did watch one of his movies this weekend. Uh, it was The Commuter with Liam Neeson and Vera Famiga. She's in it for a hot second. She's mostly on the phone. She is so fucking hot. Whew. Um, But she's in it for a hot second. And then she's on the phone mostly in the movie, just making telephone calls. But he is a commuter. He's former NYP Emmett, former NYPD. He's former police officer, and now he works at a like sales. He's a salesman, like life insurance or some shit. He gets laid off from his job, so he's down on his luck. He drive. He's he takes the commuter rail every day. Knows everybody on there, and then he's on his way back. And then he gets a he he gets a proposition, and then that proposition, you know, people start dying sort of around him. And he's got to figure out who the person is he's trying to find. It's like a suspense thriller on the plane, on the, on the ground, and he's got to got to figure everything out before uh, the plane gets to his, the 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 train gets to the destination. Otherwise, they're gonna kill his family. So you know he's up against it. So he's trying to figure that shit out. 
Um, now, does this play a lot like Taken, where he's up against the clock? Yep. Uh, does it play a lot like Unknown, where he kind of doesn't know what's going on? He's trying to figure it out. There's a little bit of frustration, but you know he's got experience, detective work. He's smart in some way, shape, or form. He has some. He's got some rather special skills. Yeah. But in this movie, he actually doesn't know how to fight at all. He's got some fighting skills, but it's not like he's fucking, you know, a Jeet Kune Do master in, uh, in Taken. Or even in Unknown, which wasn't a bad movie. Which is, like, Taken light, basically. Uh, what else did I watch with him in it? He was up in the air. He was in a plane. Some shit. That was pretty good. Um, let's see, who else was in it? Oh, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson's always one of those underrated actors. He was in... Uh, two movies that I really liked. Uh, there, one was actually a sequel. It was Insidious. Great horror movies. Awesome. The first two, anyways. I didn't bother with the second, the third one. I didn't need to deal with that. But he's in it. He's a he's a police he's a police officer. A couple other big names in there. Vera Farmiga. She plays. She's a character in there as well. And there's other people. Blah blah. So, as far as the way the movie runs, moves along, moves along rather well. Sticks straight to the point. They don't have to go crazy with the budget because most of it takes place within the train. Um, the effects are pretty good as far as how the train moves and things like that. And um, his character is pretty good. It's it's a pretty good basic run of the mill thriller. And then you t- throw in Liam Neeson, who kind of bird box it by you know put putting him in there. Takes an average movie and makes it really good. So the commuter with Liam Neeson. Three out of five stars. Solid performance by Liam Neeson. I love the additional characters that are on this actual train in sel- itself. And I liked how everything kind of ties together. You kind of you kind of get an idea of, of the plot twist that's going to that's gonna be coming towards the end of the movie. Um, but, you know, you kind of, it throws you for a loop maybe a little bit. But for the most part, you really are, you do get satisfied with it. And it does come to actually a really successful and uh, satisfying conclusion. Because sometimes you don't get all of the food on the plate. But in this case, you pretty much get everything that you bargained for, plus the ice cream. So The Commuter, check that out with Liam Neeson and Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. Three out of five stars. Solid Netflix joint. I don't know if it's on Netflix, though. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Check it out on Amazon Prime, and I'm sure it's in the red box, too. Okay, so... You know what was kind of cool is the fact that uh, the movies I got to see this week were actually pretty decent. Um, you know, from three stars to five stars. You know, I was pretty disappointed with the ones I watched the week before. A bunch of tin can fucking piles of junk. Junk. Um, and then, of course, I watched Rampage. Rampage. <laughs> uh, based on the video game. A very stupid, silly, simple arcade game. Uh, about these mutated radioactive creatures, like a large bear or a large wolf and a large gorilla, and they go into the city and they basically just eat buildings. They eat buildings and they throw helicopters. That's it. That's all the game is. So you could basically... It's got less plot than Duck Hunt. Less plot than Dunk Hunt. Duck, duck, dunk, dunk. Ooh, oh dear. Less plot than that movie. Show, game, video. What's your pronoun? Mm. Um, so the movie. They w- said, okay, let's take this five-minute, you know, uh, squirt and bolt video game from Nintendo, and let's try to drag it out for 90 minutes. 
How are you going to pull that off? All right. Well, obviously, what 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 else would you do? You'd make Dwayne Johnson's character like a an uh, uh, an animaltologist of whatever fucking whatever you call those things. He's a monkeytologist. The monkey, you know, gets into some goopy shit. The goopy shit makes him bigger and more aggressive. The next thing you know, things get out of control. Uh, the characters in the movie are pretty good, pretty run of the mill. The there's a cowboy ish. Uh, federal agent who kind of you'd expect him to play the bad guy in the movie, but he actually turns out to be really, really good, oddly funny, and you start to root for him and extremely helpful. Played by the dude who played the comedian in the movie Watchmen, and he was also in a, a show called he was also in a movie called The Losers, a, uh, a video movie called The Losers. That was a good movie too. Oh. And he's also the guy with the barbed wire baseball bat from Walking Dead. Jeffrey, uh, what the hell is his name? Jeffrey something whatever. Okay, I gotta, I gotta look him up. He's driving me nuts. Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah, pretty sure that's it. He's in the movie. He's actually a lot of fun. Has a big belt buckle and shit. So he kind of helps along the way. And the animals get loose. Uh, the chick who's also in Watchmen with, De- with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, she plays... What does she play? What does she play? Hmm. Oh my god, what's the matter with me? She's in Watchmen too. She's one of the characters. She's actually pretty good. Uh, she plays the run of the mill, like, you know, villain and stuff. She's pretty good. And let's see. So she's in it. Uh, she turns on this giant beacon. She wants to collect the data because she wants to make super soldiers. And. So, yeah, she try, she wants to, since she lost all the data from the satellite experiment, she wants to collect the, 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 the DNA from the animals. So she conducts, she turns on a beacon to drive the animals crazy. They all come running through the woods. They end up in Chicago. They tear Chicago to pieces. And then Dwayne Johnson comes in to save the day. Uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I have not been sleeping well lately. Um... So, yeah, overall, it's a popcorn flick. It's got some funny stuff in there, some enjoyable shit. Uh, I'd give it a three out of five stars for just kind of throwing on and laughing about. This is definitely my friend Mr. Frowley, a movie he'd like to watch. Let's see. Oh, just got a message from Johnny Yaz. Johnny Yaz, if you want to check him out, he's from week 94, Jettoberfest. He says to me, Gotta say, I miss the weekly YouTube videos from your traveling experiences. Maybe I'm just old school. Well, let me reply to you, Mr. Johnny Yaz. I'm going to reply to him. Um, see. Tune. Big documentary. Coming out in March. Ha 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 ha. That's what I wanted to talk about. So, I just wanted to run through this quickly. February 23rd at the Palace Theater in Manchester, New Hampshire, a place you more than likely have never been to. Two to eight. It's an 800-seat theater. We're going to try to fill that place up with the Southern Sudan Hope Project um, where they are building schools in the UN-protected acreage. Uh, just across the border in Sudan. So, 
my job was to create the five-minute video that's going to be going into the middle of the, the evening with Agath Okeni, who's going to be doing the hour-long presentation. My five-minute video will be in the actual presentation, uh, wherever she decides to put it. But myself and Team Polkin, Turcotte, Jared Worthern, will also be in attendance shooting the entire event from pre to post and meet and greet. We'll be shooting the whole fucking thing, and it's going to be awesome. So I look forward to filming all that, and that's going to be, once I put that together, I'm going to take the video that I've already made for the Southern Sudan Hope and putting it in the actual documentary of the event up on YouTube. So I literally have one thing within another, and it'll be really, really cool. And hopefully I get all the stuff I need, but I'll got three cameras going, uh, two extra guys with me. Uh, this is going to be great. This is really going to be a, a kind of a big deal, kind of a big moment for Positive Sarcasm and its collaborators. So this is going to be, uh, I'm going to be really, really, you know, get plenty of rest that night, hit the gym early in the morning. It's going to be, it's going to be a huge thing. So we're going to be there. Uh, t what we'll do is once I do some more, de gets, I bang out some more details. We'll get the event popped up on uh, on Facebook and send the event invitations out, and then you'll be able to figure out how you're going to get tickets. And then, of course, the a lot of the, the money from the tickets will be going to help out the Southern Sudan Hope Project, which is building schools for nearly f several hundred to thousands of students um, that are going to be eventually the future of South Sudan because South Sudan, 50% of the population is under the age of 18. That's pretty crazy because the country was established in 2011. So she's a youngin. She's a youngin indeed. So check that out, February 23rd. And then, of course, I'll be reviewing how the night went afterwards. But I eh, just wanted to throw that in there. So thank you to Johnny Yaz for kind of uh, sparking my brain for that. I also got to be signing up with the AMA soon, um, even though I had to use the uh, my tax return money for other shit. But I will be signing up with the uh, American... Uh, uh, Aviation of Mo Association of Model Aircraft. They're the ones who help you out with drone stuff, um, oddly enough, even though they mostly play with model airplanes. But the federal government, the FAA, pretty much designed most of their rules around the guidelines from the AMA. So I'll be needing to sign, sign up with them. It's like 75 bucks a year. Well, the first year. Second year is 50 bucks. Take that into account. So, uh, movie reviews. Commuter, three out of five stars. Simple movie, fun to watch. Netflix and chill type of movie. Same thing with Rampage, because uh, <laughs> that's what you'll be doing after. Then uh, I watched two World War II-based movies. One was one I've already seen, and the other one I wasn't, I hadn't seen. This was The Darkest Hour. The Darkest Hour was, or Darkest Hour, excuse me, played by, uh, what the fuck is his name? All right, let me look it up. Not prepared. Not prepared. Um, Darkest Hour? There it is. Let's look that shit up. Gary Oldman. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon. The real Commissioner Gordon. Remember that. Darkest Hour. A thrilling and inspiring story begins at the precipice of World War II. Within days of becoming Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, Academy Award-winning nominee Gary Oldman, must face one of his most turbulent and defining trials exploring a negotiated peace treaty with Nazi Germany. Okay. If you've seen Dunkirk, 
This movie's actual timeline is based around the same the same when Dunkirk is taking place. In uh, Dunkirk was a situation where several hundred thousand troops, British troops, basically the entire German, the entire British infantry was stuck in and stuck in France, and the Germans were advancing like madmen. They had taken over Poland. They'd taken over Belgium. They're taking over France. They are crushing. Italy's come to full power under Benito Mussolini, so Mussolini is helping uh, the Germans push into North Africa. So pretty much they're taking over all of Europe. And at this point, all and they are cutting off the trade. They're they're cutting off all the the channels in uh in the northern Atlantic. So basically, the the British are not able to get their boys, their ships over into into France to pick up 300,000 soldiers because either the submarines will sink them or the British, the uh, German warplanes will, do, will just knock them, will just come right out of nowhere. And the German warplanes are some of the best in World War II, without a doubt. So, while the whole Dun, excuse me, while the whole Dunkirk situation was going on, uh, the now former prime minister, who was a giant pussy, who was more of a peacetime consulietti, basically, uh, they decide vote of no confidence. They jack off. They they freaking boot his ass out of parliament, and they decide to go with the old fuck with Winston Churchill, who's this portrayed as a bumbling, stumbling goofball, um, who smokes and drinks and eats like a pig, who's got you know the typical you know, prototypical smoking hot wife and hot daughters. So they begrudgingly vote him in. So in case anything goes wrong, they're going to use him as a scapegoat. So he comes in. <clears throat> he's been known to be rather stubborn and not have the best track record, but he was always steadfast from the very beginning to the very end when he was voted out of office in 1945, I believe. Always. He never trusted the Germans. He never trusted Adolf Hitler. He never wavered once in the negotiation tactics. Okay? In the movie, it's portrayed in the dar- in Darkest Hour that he was actually considering negotiating a peace treaty with... Adolf Hitler, when in reality, he never, ever would have negotiated with Adolf Hitler or the Germans. He knew what kind of fucking savages that he was dealing with when it comes to Goebbels, when it comes to uh, the Desert Fox, um, who was running the campaign in North Africa before his ass got beat up by the Americans, and of course with Adolf Hitler himself and all his fucking cronies. So he was never, ever, ever going to negotiate with Hitler. He just tried to had to, he had to figure out a way to get his boys, 300,000 British soldiers back from Dunkirk, from France, safely before all the Germans surrounded him and took him out. Tanks, airplanes, all kind, and then of course, massive infantry. There was also in the movie there was a, a another battalion of about 4,000 guys. He decided in the movie he was going to actually sacrifice them and draw the the fire the main fire from the German army so that the 300,000 could have time to escape. When in reality, in the movie, they actually all died, but in reality, no. About 80% of them were captured, okay? Um, And it doesn't say much beyond that, but they were captured, not all killed. So... Because he wanted... Obviously, he wanted to get the rescued. And in Dunkirk, you actually see... Dunkirk wasn't that great of a movie, in my opinion. It was a bit overrated. In Dunkirk, he hires... In the movie, it's it's shown as if Winston Churchill, this cigar-smoking, you know, pygmy dude-looking British dude, 
uh, came up with the idea of conscripting or high, basically, uh, what do you call it? Drafting these boats, like civilian boats, like sailboats and shit, uh, over to get over to Dunkirk, thousands of them to go pick up the British. When in fact it wasn't his idea. There's a lot of argument for that. Um, it was actually it, actually another person came up with that, but he obviously went along with the idea, and it actually worked. All these civilian boats went over and picked up the vast majority, almost all 300,000 British soldiers, soldiers made it back to Britain. Huge turn. That's that. It was extremely vital. It, it gave the Germans plenty of op- it gave the Germans plenty of pause because they were preparing for a massive invasion, a massive invasion of Britain. Okay, the Blitz was coming because the amount of damage they did to London. During that bombing run that they did in the early 1940s, they crippled uh, England to the point where it was nearly unrecoverable. I mean, beyond repair. It was bad. But the as it was portrayed in the movie, which it wasn't really, is which in real life it, it didn't really happen because uh, Winston Churchill was accounted for at all times. He had like 20 diaries apparently where he was talking with the people in the underground subway. That never happened. But it was it was a nice little piece of the movie that kind of pushed it along, where basically to say that Winston Churchill always had England in his best interest and the people in their best interest, because Parliament, as it is today, is a giant shit show, where they just they are always out to 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 just chomp at each other. Um, at least that's how I see it. So there was a lot of politics aside, but for the most part, he actually wasn't fighting with Parliament too much. Where in the movie, they were basically ready to throw him out at a moment's notice if he wasn't willing to discuss a peace treaty. But in reality, there really wasn't as much blowback, and there was never really that threat. So, and the British Parliament and England in general knew what they were up against. They knew they were dealing with. They knew they were dealing with somebody, for the most part, in Adolf Hitler, who was just going to go in there and turn them into a slave state or just bomb them to hell and just end them. Because... That's all he was doing. He did it to France. He didn't get in. He didn't get into Spain for some reason. Um, he had Italy's back. Believe me, if he was going to invade, he was going to invade Spain because he already had plans to invade Russia. Okay, and those plans, as you know, uh, came to a screeching halt because he had to deal with something called the Russian Winter, which basically is what stopped Germany from winning World War II. Was the Russian Winter because Adolf Hitler decided he was going to betray the Russian. Uh, uh, not Stalin or Lenin. I forget who was alive and running. I think it was Lenin. Forget. You have to let me know. Who was basically running? Uh, the the because the Russians were basically going to take over, uh, Eastern Europe anyway. They were planning to do a full scale attack anyways. But Germany said, "Fuck you. We're going to take you guys over instead." And then they were advancing. They were beating up the Russians pretty bad. And then the winter hit. When the winter hit, pretty much brought all the advances of the German infantry to a screeching halt. Tanks weren't working, guns weren't working, food was in short supply, the men were freezing, morale was dying, because the German morale was not as high as the Japanese morale. The Japanese morale, they were fight to death, fight to the death. Whereas the German morale, a lot of kids, a lot of brainwashing, wasn't, their resolve was not as strong as the Japanese. So when it came to a little bit of cold, the Germans kind of, they, they, they caved a little faster, okay? Um, plus they only knew, they only knew victory. That's all the Germans knew after, well, World War One. that was not exactly a victory, but they only knew after that was they were just built up with everything that Adolf Hitler was saying. 
to the point where we're just going to go and go and go. We're winning. We're taking over Belgium. We're taking over uh, 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 France like nothing. They ran right over France. Ran right over. They blew fucking Poland apart. You know, they say, okay, we're not going to take over the Czech Republic. All right, fine. They took over the Czech Republic. All right, you know, we won't declare war on you guys as long as you don't take over Poland. All right, we won't take over Poland. Guess what he does? Takes over Poland. And then the whole France thing. Ah, oh, we're, 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 we did. No, <laughs> just runs right through him. Kills everything. Bombs everything. Doesn't care. So in that case, there was no stopping him. The Brits knew what they had to do. And they survived. They persevered. And I think the, and obviously the biggest mistake was not made by the Germans. Well, in as far as their military tactics it, uh, concerning the war, the, the war in Britain, the war in Europe, excuse me, it wasn't, uh, it was, the Germans definitely did by trying to invade Russia, okay, where maybe they could have came up with a different plan because that killed all their soldiers. Divide and conquer, they, they were divided. They were stopped in Stalingrad, and, and that killed the advance. And then at that point, it was far too late to recover because the losses were so big and the Americans had already entered the war. And the biggest mistake in World War II was made by the Japanese. It was not by the Germans. I mean, there was a lot of uh, military strategy that would be considered error when it comes to the Germans, okay? How they advanced in Dunkirk. Uh, you know, basically how they took over France. Uh, their advances in Stalingrad. Their, the way they handled Normandy, okay? Maybe the way they handled the, uh, the, Atlant the battles in the North Atlantic. Maybe how they handled the attack in Britain. Many different ways. Maybe they just fucked up. Or maybe they put too much trust in Benito Mussolini to handle the Southern Europe issue, which apparently they did because his bravado did not work out. If you, if you want to know more about how they treated Benito Mussolini when, he, uh, when his, his empire finally collapsed, you can go check that out. Go, go into your Encyclopedia Britannica and check out what they did to Benito Mussolini when they got a hold of his ass. So, um, in the movie, Winston Churchill never falters. He survives through all the trials and tribulations. It, there's, there's actually a lot of comedy in this movie. It's kinda, it kind of bumbles along in some ways. There's not a lot of action. There's just a lot of drama. There's a lot of moving around with, with Benito the entire time. Uh, no, Benito. Fuck is matter with me? Told you, man, I've been tired all day, but I'm pushing through. Um, a lot of movement, just him kind of going and talking to his family, talking with Parliament, talking with the military strategists, talking with the people in the, the, the government in France. And then you see a little specks of war here and there uh, just to kind of take you outside and give you that breath of fresh air cinematically. Um it is definitely a lot of a movie about talking, but you can kind of feel the the, 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 the undertones of tension throughout the entire flick. Uh, Well-deserved, too. So is it a gripping movie? No, but it does give you a real understanding of what Winston Churchill was like, and he successfully, he was appreciated during that time. He was desperately needed during those the course of those uh, five, six years, 1939 and 1945. He was needed just to simply... Just to keep Britain, Britain, okay, at all costs, at all costs. His speeches were great, too, in the movie. First of all, Gary Oldman, true actor, bar none, true actor. Handle, did the character very, very well, even though, from they say from the very beginning, that Winston Churchill was hard to understand because he mumbles a lot. 
you can pretty much understand 80 to 90 percent of what Churchill's saying or what Gary Oldman's saying, basically. And you can piece everything together from there. Um, all the supporting characters are great. A lot of historical figures. Enjoyable movie for however long it was. There And there was a lot of history to be learned. I always like when there's a little bit of accurate history to be learned when you're watching a movie. Especially a movie like this where it's kind of hard to keep your attention at times because there's just a lot of talking. Okay, but when you're a World War II fan like I am, well, not a fan, but a, a I guess, a, what do you call it? An enthusiast of the of the time period where there's a lot to learn. Not just of World War II, but everything that was that attaches itself to that situation. Um, enjoyable flick overall. Definitely a movie that you wouldn't watch in theaters because you don't need you don't need a big screen. You don't need that popcorn that you can make it yourself. It's not a, it's not a when I rate it three out of five stars. Um, it's mostly because it's not a it's not a theater movie. It's just not. It's a Netflix movie. It's uh, not a Netflix and chill movie. You actually have to pay attention to this movie, all right? Because there's a lot of moving parts as far as uh, the negotiations and stuff. But you love all the characters in it. The fact version fiction stuff, you know, mostly just some simple dialogue that, you know, they kind of threw in there for, uh, what do they call that? Um, Hollywood, um, I forget what they call it. Liberty. They took liberty with some events that actually didn't happen. But for the most part, and from what I can tell from all the critics, except for maybe one, they um, had it pretty accurate as far as how they made this movie, um, and it ends on a, and it ends on a solid note. But what I was disappointed with was the fact that they didn't really move out of the section where, like, we've already the story of Dunkirk had already been told. It had already been told by, um, boringly, by Hans Zimmer, not Hans Zimmer, Christopher Nolan in the movie Dunkirk. But this movie is basically on the other side of Dunkirk, telling it from the eyes of Winston Churchill. But it that I wanted to see more because there was far more important issues besides just Dunkirk. Even though it was a pivotal moment in Winston Churchill's time in office, the idea that they didn't talk about the Battle of Britain, okay? They didn't talk about World War uh, 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 D Day, Normandy. Any of that planning, Operation Overlord, as it was as it came to be known, they didn't talk about anything. It was just kind of dragged along through this small time period, and then basically kind of peters towards a nice, I guess, happy conclusion after the uh, after all the the soldiers are rescued from Dunkirk. But that's it. But they don't go any farther beyond that actual point. So essentially, you just watched another version of Dunkirk. Which, I've already seen Dunkirk. And I wasn't, I maybe I'd have to watch it again. But the idea is, I already saw it once in theaters, in its glory. And I still wasn't impressed from, I know what I wanted out of that movie, and I didn't get it. Okay? At least with the dark, at least with Darkest Hour, the emotional performance of Gary Oldman worked. And it wasn't like emotional, like, <laughs> it was actually like, I watched it, I liked his character, he made me laugh, and I enjoyed it, okay? So I got that out of it at least, but it doesn't go much farther, be, it doesn't blow me away, okay? Maybe I, when it comes to, like, the King's speech, I would rate it probably in that category as far as a lot of talking, a lot of drama, some bumbling funniness, some comedy involved, and definitely some dire moments, but for the most part, that's where it sits. 
But I like it. I totally give it a thumbs up. Three out of five stars. You can check it out on Amazon Prime. Last movie review is actually a throwback to a movie I've seen a long time ago. But sometimes you got to watch older movies. And I was since I was in a World War II movie mood, so I knew them. Um, I was playing along the lines of, uh, you know, World War II. So I went back and rewatched The Thin Red Line. This is a movie that I highly, highly praised back when it first came out. This this movie came out within a few months of Saving Private Ryan. Okay, talk about going against that. Oh, that's right, Shakespeare and Love did. Fucking Harvey Weinstein. He got they Saving Private Ryan got shafted. I'm telling you, for Best Picture, without a doubt. Um. Thin Red Line actually takes place opposite of the theater that was going on in England. Takes place in the uh, the war in Japan. Well, not Japan, but the Guadalcanal. Okay, and it's a slow. It has a slow pace. It's haunting. It has a very haunting theme to it. It it you can hear a lot of the time. There's over. There's a narration, odd narration. It's the guys basically talking to themselves. They're asking random questions. They're stuck out there. The, in 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 the in the in the not in the jungle of the Guadalcanal, and the idea, the horrors of war is playing with their heads. The math is not coming together when they're when they're fighting. Okay, there's a, and the, the horror is there, like the the actual war. You can see it. It's there. It's on full display. It just comes at a slower pace than say Saving Private Ryan, which is basically. Within five minutes, they're on the beaches of Normandy. The gates go down, and dudes are getting fucking shredded. This one is a lot slower. It's a lot slower paced. It kind of starts off with Jim Caviezel, who plays Jesus in Passion of the Christ, kind of starts from there. And he's basically AWOL in the beginning, and then Sean Penn shows up. There's a lot of freaking characters in this movie. I mean, a lot of big-time actors. Let's see. Not Penelope Allen, not Simon Billig. Uh, Adrian Brody's in it. Jim Caviezel's in it. George Clooney's in it. John Cusack's in it. Warren, Warren, <laughs> Woody Harrelson's in it for a hot second. My boy Nick Nolte, who's awesome in this movie, he's in it. He's he looks like he's about to have a fucking stroke in this movie because he's always screaming or he's smoking a cigarette. He's like, I want to talk like that. He's John Travolta's in it in the very beginning. He's got this interesting. He looks like um, looks like Freddie Mercury with his porn stash. Radio flyer. Um, in the beginning of the movie, so there's a lot. Of, they they treated a lot like with Saving Private Ryan. There was a lot of big name actors in the movie. Vin Diesel was in it for a hot second. Uh, the dude from um, from Cheers who plays Sam, he's in it for a hot second. Uh, what's that? Who's that little bumbling dude from Sideways? What the hell is his name? Uh, Giovanni, not Giovanni Ribisi, the other one. He's in it for a hot second. They're all, you know, just a lot of big names that kind of come and go during the movie. So, but Sean Penn's in it. He's basically the main character who kind of drifts in and out. Uh, and then some other well-known faces that you would notice as well. So they're in there. They're trying to basically take this hill, this big hill in the Guadalcanal. And they're having a really tough time getting up this hill because the guys are getting slaughtered because they're at a disadvantage due to the angle of attack. They can't see the bunkers, and the bunkers are shredding their men to pieces. So there's some confrontation between the uh, the captain and the guy who's leading, you know, yeah, the, the captain and whatnot, and th that's where the politics kind of come into play. But for the most part, 
Um, it kind of plays out pretty well. It's done by Terrence, directed by Terrence Malick. He's a big, t- he's a big timer. Um, it's a slow paced movie, especially watching it again. You, you almost want to take, obviously when you watch a movie, it, it seems like it, first of all, the movie hasn't dated. It's not dated at all. Okay. The movie, as far as its actual presence, it's not supposed to be historically accurate. It just needs to take place in a way where the Guadalcanal, real situation. The horrors of it, absolutely accurate. And the confrontation and the indecision in the guy's minds totally happened. Okay. And then you see the insanity or the, the not the insanity, but the passion and resolve of the Japanese when trying to hold these islands, Okinawa, Iwo Jima, and the whole Guadalcanal in general. They would not falter. They didn't surrender. Not in any way, shape, or form. So you see that. But the horror of it, and it's a long movie. It's a lot to take in. Okay. There are some, it, it really does dive deeper into the horrors of war more than Private Ryan does. Private Ryan kind of condenses it a little bit better, condenses it, and kind of moves into action. Something Steven Spielberg is very, very good at. It's not Terrence Malick's deal. Terrence Malick will definitely take his time and stretch out a scene if he deems it necessary. Um, And he's definitely not afraid to kill notable faces. He's definitely not. Um, But the, the war, the environment and the theater that he puts you in is very realistic. Very. Okay. I would compare it to We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson as far as the theater is concerned. Another fantastic, one of my favorite war movies of all time. But that's not World War II. That's Vietnam. That's the very beginning of Vietnam War. But the Thin Red Line, as far as, it's con- as, far as what it was designed to do, to represent the actual horrors, the haunting horror of, of World War II at its time from that theater, from that side of the world, okay? Because the Japanese made the biggest mistake when it came to World War II because they're the ones who got the Americans into the war by bombing Pearl Harbor, surprise attack, which maybe we knew it was coming or not, but they still fucking did it, and they pissed us off, and that was the end of that. So they made that mistake. They got us in there, and we started pushing into Southeast Asia, and we started pushing up through Guadalcanal, and we started put, we start, we defended Midway, and then we started pushing up through uh, Iwo Jima. By the time we got to Okinawa, they were in deep shit. The Japanese were in deep shit. Uh, but the haunting horror of war, when you're hearing some of the soldiers talking to themselves, one guy's writing to his wife. He's writing to his wife all the time, thinking of her all the time. The first letter he gets to her, he goes through the whole war, the whole uh, uh, campaign on this island. And just a few weeks before they're about to leave, he gets a letter from her stating she fell in love with a fucking airman and she wants a divorce so she can go bang him. Well, continue to bang him. And her and her her reasoning is it just got too lonely. I mean, I'm surprised I'm surprised Terrence Malick in that in that point didn't make this dude put a gun in his mouth and eat a bullet. Just an absolute fuck you moment. And you see her throughout the movie in these, in these like you know clouded images and video of just them together, or she's that that beacon of hope for this guy. And that one letter just tears him to pieces. It's just oh, something that I relate to. Um, finish my coffee. Okay, but the thin red line overall, 
Great action. As far as the, the, the war scenes, on point. The drama, right there. The politics, totally. The horror of war, it's bent. It's, un, it's not totally understandable, which means it's on point. But it's a long-ass movie. But it was designed to be that way. So if, you were in, if your intentions come to fruition in the movie and all key points are established, it's a five-star movie. It is a brutal movie to watch because it fucks with your head. And, you know, it can't all be cut and dry. It's a brutal movie, and I appreciate it from beginning to end. Just, I cannot, I can't, I don't, I can't give it, I, I, I can't give you a reason, I'd have to give you a reason to give it five stars, but I need a real legitimate reason to take one of those stars away. I guess it's how I want to put it, you know, but it's a movie, it's just, it's, you have to watch it. If you're a World War II fan, this is a move. This is one of the top five movies you have to watch for that. Saving Private Ryan, okay, is definitely one of them. Okay, um, the other one is absolutely the Thin Red Line. Those are the two, those are one of the, one of the top two movies you have to watch. And Glorious Bastards, that's not that's not actually a true. That's not based on true events. Um, great movie, but not true. The Thin Red Line is. That's a must watch. So. That movie is a five out of five star. And of course, I, when, whenever I get a chance to, I throw all these movies up on my review section at positivesarcasm.com. There's a movie review section. Review section. You click on that. It'll tell you movies one to five stars. Um, and it'll give you a brief review, basically, you know, in some sarcastic way of what I thought about it. If there's a movie you want me to watch or you think I should watch, I'll, you know, I'll entertain the idea of watching it. I try to catch, I try to catch at least two or three movies a week when I can, um, and usually they are, you know, I'll go over the place, I'll watch brand new movies, I'll watch movies that came out a couple years ago, I'll go all the way back to, I just recently did like 1976, it was Logan's Run, which I gotta put up on on uh, uh, on PositiveSarcasm.com, which I actually liked, definitely dated, but a good movie, so, once again, uh, The Commuter with Liam Neeson, 3 out of 5 stars, Darkest Hour with, why do I always forget his name, what's the matter with me? Gary Oldman, three out of five stars. Rampage with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, three out of five stars. Thin Red Line with everybody, five out of five stars. So check those out. Uh, oh, shit, we're at an hour. Okay, I'll close with this. Um, I've learned very well. I guess that's the word I'm going with. I've learned over the course of the last couple years, last few years, that when something comes out, investigate it first, wait for a response, and then give your thoughts and opinions on something. Right now with politics, I really don't digest any of it at this point. I just want to throw up. But when it comes to social media and stuff, I do keep an eye on, on, on these things because there's a lot of censorship and a lot of big issues right now. Recently, Jack Dorsey was invited on the Joe Rogan Experience and Joe Rogan is obviously he's one of my favorite podcasters. Okay, I I love his he, he I learned about Jordan Peterson, Eric Weinstein, Brett Weinstein. I've learned about pretty much everybody through him. Ben Shapiro was great on there. Uh, Barry Weiss, she was fabulous, absolutely fucking fabulous on the Joe Rogan Experience recently. She was so passionate. Um, I really appreciated her thoughts. You know, 
whether I greet him or I want to elaborate on him, doesn't matter. Love Barry Weiss on there. The comedians that are on there, the fight, the, the fighters that are on there, the mathematicians, scientists, all great. Very rarely are his podcasts boring. And the fact that this podcast was boring with Jack Dorsey, in my opinion, pissed a lot of people off. A lot. Because a lot of people were starting to think that Rogan was becoming this like left-wing shill. Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan. He just wants to be, he tries, he goes out of his way to be nice to people. He works very hard. He has no excuses. He's not beholden to anybody, nor is his producer, young Jamie, the powerful young Jamie. Jamie, pull that up. So when this, when I watched this interview, I watched the whole thing and I shared it on Twitter. I didn't like it. I just watched it. I said, I don't know what to think. I'm going to wait. So I watched it and I go, this, this episode with Jack, because he didn't approach, he didn't really go deep into a lot of the topics we want to know about when it comes to censorship and a lot of other things being an issue right now on Twitter and on social media, shadow banning, suspending people, uh, you know, left versus right, all that stuff is there. So he didn't dive into it too much with Jack. He just had a conversation with Jack. He wanted to kind of get to know Jack without ruffling too many feathers. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just going to watch it. But I was watching the comments, too. People were fucking bullshit. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to give it a... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Because I didn't want to become instantly outraged like everybody else was. You know, I didn't want them to go all Covington Catholic High School. I just wanted to go fall back and chill out and see what Rogan does. And see what everybody else does around him. And then come to a conclusion on my own. I didn't want to immediately react... Because I knew I, I still believe that Rogan, that Joe Rogan, is uh, doing the be- He's doing the best for everybody involved, including himself. And he wants to talk to people. He wants to find out if he see if he sees something as bullshit, he'll call somebody out on it. But for the most part, he goes out of his way to be nice to his 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 guests. If they're calm, he's calm. If they get ramped up, he will ramp up a little bit as well. But if they're calm, which Jack Dorsey is very calm, very soft spoken. So Rogan stays calm the whole time. So I'm like, all right. And he doesn't post anything on social media at all. I'm like, all right, at all, for like a few days. And then he posts something on Instagram saying that he recently just had an interview with Jack Dorsey. He posted on like Monday or Tuesday that he had an interview with Jack Dorsey and that there was a lot of negative response to it. And he started giving his thoughts about how where he wanted to go with the interview and that he realized that maybe a lot of the things that people wanted to get out of it you know he wanted to they wanted him to press jack on a lot of the censorship issues that's going on with twitter and he didn't do it so he kind of noticed that and he mentioned it but he still was rather passive but i'm like okay well what's i'm like if he notices it usually after he does something he really doesn't like after he fucks up, per se, not fucks up, but generally speaking, when something like this happens, he made a comment once about one of the Corys, and he kind of felt bad, and I think the person he had on after that was Brian Redman. I go, you know what? He's going to have Redman on again. He just had Greg Fitzsimmons on, so if something goes down and he needs to talk to somebody, he usually goes to Brian Redman or Joey Diaz. Sure enough, he had Brian Redman on. Brian Redman is the old producer from the Joe Rogan Experience, but you know, Brian Redband wanted to go do other stuff, and it was totally cool. And there's, those two are still super tight. He has Redband on, and he absolutely does what I wanted. I personally wanted him to do. He didn't have to do it. He doesn't give a shit about me. He doesn't need to. I don't matter. But he did it. He did it. 
he said that he, you know, there was a lot that he could have done with the interview in general. You can go back, you can check it out. Joe Rogan, you can check it out in JRE clips. How he should have responded to the jet, how, what he should do with the Jack Dorsey thing. So he gets that. He gets why people are upset. He knows maybe he could have made some adjustments and where he wanted the interview to go. So because of all the current banning that's going on on Twitter, he's going to have Jack Dorsey on. And Jack Dorsey actually was the one, one of the ones who came up with the idea to come back. And they're going to go through this list or some of the list of people who were banned. And they're going to dive into it. So they're going to go into it again with Jack Dorsey and see what can be done. So he's going to go, they're going to go through this together. And you know what? That's really cool. Because with all the recent bannings and things like that, there's a big, big war on free speech. And remember, when Alex Jones, who's kind of a lunatic, you know, um, many would argue, uh, when he was banned, Twitter was the last to ban him. From what I understand, Twitter was the last to ban him. Facebook blew him right off. Instagram blew him right off. Um, and then all kinds of other shit. But Twitter didn't. They have a conduct policy. But they did end up banning him. So that was that's one of the things that's going to be addressed when it comes to free speech and what define you know, it's a, that's a whole other thing. We can go through that in another day. Or not, who knows. Um, but there are far other, there are, there are other topics as well that need to be addressed in this situation. And Rogan... Um, has for the most part, I think he satisfied my my feelings that he went in with the best intentions. He maybe didn't get, get deliver what he originally set out to deliver or what people wanted to get out of it. He understands it. He felt bad about it. He responded to it um, on his latest podcast with Red Brian Redband for like a whole 20, 25 minutes. And it was great. Okay. I totally appreciate Rogan. And he doesn't, he doesn't need my appreciation. He doesn't give a shit. And he doesn't need to. But I appreciate him as a listener. I really do. Okay? I really, really do. Because he's, in, he's introduced me to so many great people, including Joey Diaz, who I just saw last year um, at the Wilbur Theater. It was freaking awesome. He introduced me to Tony Hinchcliffe, who I also saw at the Wilbur Theater, who was awesome. He opened for Rogan, actually. Um... So he's going to have Jack Dorsey on. Um, I'm going to catch up on... I've already watched it, so I don't need to download it, but I am going to watch the one with Brian Redband again or the whole thing in its entirety. And I look forward to that coming out next, the, you know, in like the next couple days. So he did address it. The instant outrage, though, is one of those things I wanted to avoid. I want to be one of those people who's on social media, who's doing, who's doing stuff like this, podcasting and video and YouTube stuff, and I don't want to be one of those people that has the instant outrage, the instant comments, who just wants to be, you know, the trigger or the troll. I want to kind of set myself apart from that. You know, I want to be helpful. I don't need to be piling on. Even if it's Rogan, I don't care. I believe Rogan. I like Rogan. I don't think he's a shill. I don't. Okay, he's definitely not. There was comments that were being deleted. There was reposts. There was video feed issues. None of that had to do with Rogan. None of it had to do with his his producer, Jamie. That was fucking YouTube all day long. Them deleting Mark Dice's comments, them deleting Sargon of Akkad's comments. That was all YouTube doing YouTube stuff. And you know YouTube is up to their own shenanigans, okay? But Jack Dorsey doesn't control YouTube. They, ban they banned Alex Jones as well. 
but way before Twitter did. So it had nothing to do with Rogan or his team. Okay. So I'm still team Rogan all day long. I can't wait. I love, I just watched, we'll see, I listened to his Matt Bronger episode today. I listened to the Barry Weiss interview. Just The Barry Weiss one was fantastic. Barry Weiss, she's a, she's a journalist for the New York Times. She's just, I, you know, I have interesting thoughts about her in general, but her her article she did on the on the on the intellectual dark web, and then her latest interview with Joe Rogan was phenomenal, and I posted that on Twitter saying that she was just, you know, emotion and heart, emotion and facts, perfectly well balanced, something like that. So, uh, Joe Rogan, hats off to you. I appreciate you for just doing what you do, however you see fit. I appreciate you being upfront about all of it. Thank you. Uh, as far as the Jerry Media and Crispy Shorts situation that uh, Philip DeFranco brought up on his on his uh, on his Philip DeFranco show, I don't know what's going on with that. I can't really comment on it because Crispy, uh, aka James or James Olinger, who who is the co-founder of Jerry Media, um, I'm not really sure what's going on with that. You guys let the look that up. I can't really comment on it right now. That's a weird situation. I have no idea what's up with that. Um, so you'll have to just. Watch the Phil DeFranco show. It's it's stuff to do with Jerry Media and uh, stealing content or something to do with that. Uh, if you don't know who Jerry Media is, they're the ones who did the marketing for Fire Festival. Uh, and then they did the documentary that p- debuted on Netflix. They're the ones who produced that. They produced or co-produced at least the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix. They were also stuck on the island too, too, when they went down there to do the marketing and all that shit. Yeah, but they weren't worse off like a lot of other people. Um, they had a house, but it was a good episode. Uh, it was on Crispy Shorts channel. So I don't know what to think about that right now. I'm kind of just laying back and maybe I'll make a, maybe I'll, I'll have something to say about it. But right now, eh, the Rogan thing. Yes. I, kudos to Rogan all about it. I had time to think about it. I saw his reaction. This one with Jerry Media and Crispy and Elliot Tabuli. I don't know yet. I have no idea yet. I'll wait. So. Um, if you have any other questions or comments, thank you to everybody who chimed in on, uh, the Twitch stream, SOS cookies and FYT gug G U G. Um, thank you for your questions and comments. And of course, uh, we talked about painting dudes hair, why you shouldn't do it. Uber adventures, movie reviews, darkest hour, uh, the commuter rampage and thin red line. We talked about the Joe Rogan situation. I pretty much covered that pretty well. Uh, the drone updates about how uh, during the Super Bowl, the FBI confiscated six drones. No before you fly, guys. No before you fly. I think that's plenty. I think we covered more than enough. We're about an hour and 15 minutes. If you want to find me on Twitter, at POS Sarcasm, I don't tweet as much anymore because I deleted the app. Everybody should delete the app. Okay? Right now, Twitter is a shitstorm. Slow your tweeting. Facebook.com slash Positive Sarcasm. I don't post in there that much. All of it comes from Instagram. Instagram at positives underscore sarcasm. If you want to live stream, if you want to follow the live stream, go to twitch.tv slash positive sarcasm one. So you can follow me on all those social medias. If you want to donate to the podcast, please go to positive sarcasm.com slash donate. There's a donate button that goes right to the website. And of course, there's a PayPal one also, paypal.me slash positive sarcasm. But you can just go to positive sarcasm.com. There's a donate button there. You can click it. Um, really appreciate it. If you can contact me there too, whether you have posing music questions or inquiries, or you just have questions with thoughts in general, you go to positivesarcasm.com, contact me there, or you can do it through social media or positivesarcasm at outlook.com. 
So, I don't know what else to tell you. I got through it on a couple cups of coffee. I've been exhausted all day. Um, I guess that's, I guess that's, uh, that's, the, that's gonna do it, folks. Um, well, let's see. Yeah, not bad. Thinks Uber is back. Pacific Rim upright. Oh, that's the old one. Yeah, I was not going to that shit. Okay, we are done. I'm gonna finish my coffee. I gotta reset, get a couple other things done. Remember, February 23rd at the Powers Palace Theater. We got that event going on. 800 seats. The tickets will be posted uh, in the next week or so. I'll share the event on Facebook.com. And, uh, of course, if you have any questions about it right now, you can always message me. But it's an 800-seat theater. We got to fill it up. And my video will be presented at that show uh, for an evening with Agatha Kenny and the Southern Sudan Hope for uh, children in the war. Uh, yeah. Well, you'll know more about it soon. Big opportunity. Team Polkin's going to be there assisting me with camera work. So thank you for donating, subscribing, inquiring, questioning, and, and watching and listening and download. Download me on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Google Play. You can subscribe, share, like. You can do all that stuff. I'm doing everything I can. And it's time for you guys to, well, I guess just keep doing it. So thank you for all for listening, watching, subscribing. I will talk to you all next week. That is a motherfucking fact. This has been a Positive Sarcasm Presentation.